Fanatz. Welcome to another edition of the Cameron Brooks Podcast, Above and Beyond. And today I interview Corey Nordstrom. Corey is a former Air Force Medical Service Corps officer, and he transitioned from the Air Force back in 2014 to a company called Medtronic. Medtronic is the largest medical device company in the world, and he transitioned into an integrated spine and biologics sales consultant role. And that's a bit of a mouthful, but the bottom line is he is selling products that neurosurgeons use on their patients in the operating room. So really, I wanted I wanted this conversation to circle around that, really kind of a, around sales at a little bit more of the tactical level, um, medical device sales in the operating so in the operating room. So we end up talking about what it's like to be in the OR and what, what a rep actually does in the operating room. Um, we talked a little bit about day in the life, which is a little bit hard to answer because, um, because uh, you know, no two days are the same. But basically, you know, where we landed, one of the things I really appreciated is you know, Corey describes sales more like being a franchise owner-operator. And when, when you think about sales in that regard, it helps to really conceptualize what that day, day in the life might be. And he did an excellent job of summarizing that. Um, he really gives some, some awesome advice and a bunch of it that hopefully you can use and appreciate. Um, it's a fun podcast. He's a really good guy. He has some great experiences, and I think you'll like it. So, uh, enjoy the podcast. If you want to know more about Cameron Brooks, you can find a lot more about us on Cameron-Brooks.com. If you're interested in preparing to make a transition to or from the military to corporate America, I'd encourage you to give us a phone call uh, directly at 210-874-1500. Uh, I'd also encourage you to pick up a copy of the book PCS to Corporate America written by Roger Cameron co-authored by Chuck Alvarez, who's now the president and CEO of Cameron Brooks, as well as Joel Junker, who is our executive vice president. PCS, it's in its fourth edition, so it's been updated three times over the years, and, and really it's a phenomenal book for anyone uh, looking for advice on how to make a successful transition. So um, without further ado, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Here's Corey. All right. Corey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here, Pete. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, good deal. Well, I, I was excited for this one because, um, you know, you, you've been in corporate America for just about as long as I've been at Cameron Brooks, and so um, and so you're one of the first uh, officers that I met here at Cameron Brooks, and I uh, felt like we we uh, had a good we had good rapport and a good relationship, and of course we've caught, kept in contact through the years here. You've done a great job with that, by the way. I appreciate that. So I'm pretty excited yeah, to have you on today. Well, let's uh, let's kick it off. Let, why don't we start with a little bit about your military background? Share share with us um, kind of where you come from um, from the military. Yeah, sure thing, Pete. So I guess I direct commissioned in 2008 um, after finishing up my undergrad, and I went into the Medical Service Corps of the U.S. Air Force, which is essentially hospital uh, hospital and healthcare administration. So spent uh, one tour in Altus, Oklahoma, and then my second tour was in Misawa, Japan. So uh, at those two places, I was able to get kind of a broad background of healthcare admin, running information systems, uh, medical emergency management, 
hospital resource management, clinic practice management, and uh, did that until I left the service in 2014 after six years at the rank of captain. Gotcha. Now, you, you're you in a sales role at Medtronic. What Besides sales, what other things did you interview for at the career conference? Do you recall? I do, yeah. So, basically, I came into the conference with a mix of sales, uh, consulting, a little bit of finance, and some marketing. And there were a couple other ones that were thrown in that were kind of unique opportunities such as working with a headhunter firm and another one with uh, some operations management. So it's really a very broad swath, but most of the companies were within sales or consulting. Gotcha. And so did you, I mean, I remember you and I having conversations about sales, a few conversations before you Mm -hmm. came to the conference. Did you know or at least have a pretty good idea that 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 was going to be a direction that would that you'd eventually or potentially go into. Yeah, I would say that it was one of those things that I pretty early on in my transition to, uh, kind of identified as a, kind of a target, I guess. Uh, part of that was just some of the books that I read through the development program, and stumbling across a book called. Uh, the Cell is Human by Daniel Pink. It just kind of helped me relate my mm-hmm. background um, in non-sales uh, to sales. So it was really, really great for me to realize that my background could be good for sales. Um, so just a lot of the things that we can, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit further uh, that just kind of fall underneath the sales spectrum, the um, just kind of going out and getting things done, the measurables and of, uh, you know, everything being very quantitative and uh, your success is very easy to measure and just a little bit more of the flexibility with your time. All those things kind of spoke to me and I thought, hey, this is a good opportunity. So when you when you got out, con- considering you'd been in, in, you know, the quote hospital administration, um, you know, that's some of the work perhaps that you've done in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. It, and you went to work at Medtronic, and so you were in the operating room selling devices to surgeons in the OR. Mm-hmm. Sometimes military officers don't know that that's a thing, right? That's even a that's even a career that someone could go do. Did <laughs> yeah. you? I assume you knew that was a thing, right? Well, uh, surprisingly, I didn't know the extent to which it was a thing. Um, my real exposure to operating rooms was over in Japan, where we were kind of forced to run a a type of repless model because nobody's flying to Japan to cover cases with us. So we just, gotcha. just had to figure it out. But um, yeah, I knew it was, it was definitely part of it. Uh, I knew that uh, underneath the umbrella of medical sales, that there's kind of the capital aspect, which you're doing, you know, fewer higher level sales, the implant side where you're doing much for the service component. And then kind of the, uh, more selling disposables where you kind of sell it and get it going at the hospital and then then kind of move on to the next. So I I knew it was a thing, but maybe not to the degree that I I found out once I really got in with Medtronic. So tell us if you would, you know, a lot of, a lot of people heard, uh, have heard of, you know, medical device sales, or at least some people have heard Mm -hmm. of it. And I know it's funny when people ask me this question or ask me this question when I was doing a similar role to you, I 
I, it would be hard to answer because it was so variable. So just I just appreciate the challenge that's associated with this question. But could you kind of give us a day in day in your life? What's the day in the life of a sales professional at Medtronic? Yeah. Okay. Um, so let me just kind of go back a little bit to the OR, uh, just because that's a yeah. big part of my day in the life. Um, when when I transitioned, you're coming from a role, uh, you know, as an officer in the Air Force or whatever service, where you're in charge of a lot of big projects, lots of people, dealing with a lot of senior level leadership. And the OR is really not that. Um, it's very tactical. Really, you get in the room, you're setting up the cases and uh, reading interpersonal cues and doing customer service. And honestly, you're probably the first one that's going to get yelled at as opposed to uh, <laughs> praised. So it's, it's one of those things where it's definitely a stark contrast to what I was used to, but ultimately that's kind of where you're making money. So you're, you're happy to be there. Um, so with that, uh, a day in the life, uh, just kind of, let me kind of give you a rundown on my past couple of weeks. That would kind of give you a better look at it because it really runs the spectrum. So a couple yeah, of weeks right. ago, I, I drove two hours one way to cover two surgeries um, based on the scheduling. I had some waiting in between cases, and I was at the account for, I think it was 14 or 15 hours. And then I drove Now, home. what does that mean? Um, what does that mean you covered two cases? I don't, I don't quite get yeah, that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. So maybe I can expand on the, the OR thing a little bit more. So what you're doing when you're in implant sales, which is really what I'm doing, you find out about the surgery schedule after you've already made the sale and you, the surgeon agrees to work with you. You're heading in, you're helping the implants go into the patient. And you're not directly no, so are you doing touching yourself, anything? but you're never touching the patient. You're never touching your instruments. Okay. You're never touching your implants. But so by helping, you're just coaching, you're being customer service. You're making sure that the correct implant is what's being handed to the surgeon and uh, troubleshooting problems and making sure that the surgery goes as smoothly as possible with the best clinical results that there can be um, for good outcomes for the patient. So um, the surgeon is happy and you get invited back. So really that's where, you know, you figuratively and literally make your money because it's, it's the most important aspect of the whole transaction. So when I say I was uh, covering two cases, I was really the representative for Medtronic and for my spine business uh, for two cases um, with the surgeon on two different patients. Hopefully that, uh, that that's relatively yeah clear. yeah yeah now now the logical question for someone who didn't even know uh, a former JMO could go be in an OR and consult with surgeons and nurses and techs on how to do things is mm -hmm. I mean how'd you get there because you're you know I know your background you've got a business undergraduate and, and MBA and I know you're working on your another degree now but you're not a medical guy per se how, how is that even possible. Yeah, it seems kind of a contradiction, doesn't it? But uh, really, these companies have very good training programs. And you, I spent a year traveling around the country, working with different surgeons, with different reps, and going through formal training to learn how these procedures are executed, to learn some of the procedural pearls 
help them to go well and uh, really just kind of build my clinical competence. Um, there, there are no certifications or anything of that nature for most procedures for me to be able to go in and help uh, help them go well and help cover them. Um, mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's probably under the umbrella of on-the-job training with a, a formal aspect. And it's pretty clear when somebody knows what they're talking about uh, and when they don't know what they're talking about. So that, that comes with time, comes with experience and the types of cases that you've seen and covered and, and uh, technologies that you've sold. And really, it's just kind of uh, going from that introductory level to more of an expert level just based on experience. Now, but yeah, now, it's definitely definitely odd coming from business to be to be doing yeah, that, working right. with neurosurgeons on on spine. Well, yeah, that's right. You're a business undergraduate. You were you were in the Air Force, working in hospitals, and so, mm -hmm. um, which actually probably has a little bit of a connection. And I think the the harder leap is you know someone, you know, what was it like in the army working on tanks or something along those lines. But here, I, you said something that I, that piqued my interest as well. And so you said you know you looked at the surgery schedule and you know, you had already made the sale mm -hmm. prior to going to the surgery. So where does that type of selling occur? I mean, he, you're, you're, you're the physician, the surgeon has agreed to, you know, meet you and allow you to come into the OR. Where did you convince him or her that your product would be superior and that he or, he or she should use your products in their, you know, on their patients? Yeah, and that's an important question. And it, it really can be a lot of places. I mean, some things, if you've already got that good relationship with them, it can be kind of a, a nudge at the scrub sink where they're getting ready and saying, hey, uh, mm -hmm. Dr. X, uh, I've got this new thing. Can I sit down and talk to you about it? They say yes. Mm -hmm. Well, really, that's, that's part of the sales process. You're winning a sale by getting that follow-up meeting. Um, mm -hmm. Then you can go in and talk more uh, about how that product will fit into their their procedural practice <clears throat> and really how it can benefit their patients. And you can do that uh, at a formal meeting. You can do that over a beer. You can do that by bringing them out to see another surgeon implant the, the device. Or you can bring them to a type of lab where you can go and have them work on it on a, a cadaver or really anything. I mean, th there's a lot of ways where I've made made sales, and they really run through all of those specific instances. But I think the key in all of that, Corey, and you, you, you know, maybe expand on this a little. But the, in my mind, the key is, you know, you're you're a good guy. You know how to listen to people. You understand that people, you know, that your customers need to win, and you're helping them. Yeah, you're selling them a product, but you're selling them a really good product that will actually ultimately benefit them and the patient, the recipient of the product that ultimately, you know, the, the receiver of the product ultimately. And so, you know, there's a lot of places to do it, but there has to be, you know, an ability to build rapport and, you know, maintain relationships and see value and bring value to other people regardless of where you're doing it. I assume yeah, you agree with yeah, that. Can you expand on that a little Absolutely. Maybe? Yep. That, that's a that's a great uh, clarification. So, with that, yeah. I mean, honestly, even if I don't work with a surgeon on a day-to-day -day basis, I know a lot about their practice just based on on how this works, and I know a lot about them um, just from my exposure with the people that work with the surgeon. 
So it, it's scary how much you know the reps actually know about what that surgeon's using, their procedure types, mm-hmm. um, how they actually put things in. So you just have to exercise quite a bit of emotional intelligence and uh, a little bit of sleuthing to really, um, you know, make those connections and how things work. You have to have emotional intelligence. You have to have the right personality where you can actually approach somebody to to even get these conversations started. So yeah, you you nailed it with 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 your comments, Pete. So you, I kind of cut you off and hijacked the conversation a little bit in terms of you know we were going through hey what does the last two weeks look like? So one day you drove two hours one way. Sat for oh, uh, sure. you know sat around two cases fourteen hours total not in all in the surgery but then drove home. Well, uh, what else were you gonna say? Well, I was just gonna say. Um, so today on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, I you know I got up this morning and I drove my son to school, came back, worked on some billing, made a few phone calls to some accounts, and then I just <laughs> went out for a ten mile run because the weather was nice and. Uh, you know, just just made sure I was all dialed in for for cases tomorrow. So you can wait really a minute. Run from Whoa, very, time out. Back up. You went and sure. went for a ten minute, ten mile run during the duty day, Corey. During the duty day, yes, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's quite a <laughs> quite a shock, isn't it? No. Um, now tell me, really tell us with... about that because I I love this concept. It was my favorite, by far, my favorite part of being in professional sales. Tell us how that's yeah, even it, possible. It's huge. So really flexibility is the name of the game with when you're in sales. Um, in my line of sales where I'm working with a very limited number of customers, because there are not a neuro there's not a neurosurgeon on every street corner. You you can't make sales calls to these neurosurgeons every single day or every single week. In fact, I've one business or businesses come to me because other reps have tried to do that. And people get annoyed and so you really can't can't do it all the time. So you do have that flexibility where if you're smart with your business and you're smart with how you run your logistics and how you plan your cases, you can build in a lot of free time that you can use to, you know, develop yourself personally or, you know, take care of your family and uh, just, you know, get a new hobby. I mean, because you will have the opportunity to make up that time on these 14 or 12 or 20 hour days that do come, come up. So, yeah, you just kind of have to understand that uh, as long as you plan things right, there's a lot of flexibility. I remember I've told this story maybe even on the podcast here before, but I remember my first sales job, my friend, mentor, even still today, his name was Rick Verdine. He, he, I was straight out of the army. I I knew nothing about, you know, sales for the most part. I'd kind of been through some training, but boy, I had a lot to learn and and I love to play golf, and it's a passion of mine. And, and so Rick and I are meeting for the first time over breakfast, and he says, what do you like to do? I said, well, one of the things I like to do is play golf. He goes, well, listen, here, I'll make a deal with you. You can play golf every single day of the work week if you want to as long as you hit the number. And mm-hmm. I, I wasn't exactly. any, uh, under any illusion that I would play golf every day. That would be impossible to play golf every day and hit the number. But it was such – an impactful statement so early in my sales career that, you know, the bottom line is, hey, you're, you're an adult, run your business, hit your numbers, grow what I'm asking you to grow, and, and you can run 10 miles. Now, I wouldn't have done that, but someone, you can run 10 miles, I can go play golf, you can do it, you can hang out with your kids, you can do whatever you want. That was such a, 
such a momentous day for me when I, when I, I didn't quite understand what, I didn't understand what he meant, frankly. <laughs> uh, that came later, but, uh, but it is pretty yeah. neat. Yeah, you live and die by quota, and that's really what it is. If you can hit quota, hey, that's great. Whatever you need to do, right? and the rest is yours. And, and honestly, now, you it, need to be diverse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, this running thing has actually gotten me sales because I've, I've got a couple surgeons that are really into mountain biking and trail, uh, trail running. So it, it just shares that common interest, and sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah. What what do you think some of the, you know, may, I, we know what the obvious misconceptions are, and maybe that's where it's at, but, you know, sometimes I, I talk to an officer that I'm meeting for the first time, and I'm, I'm trying to give them some, some feedback on how I'm evaluating their marketability, and I, I say something like, hey, I, I think you'd be really good at sales, and, you know, I, there are times, and probably more times than not even, where I get a lot of resistance and pushback to it. Like, Man, I don't want to do sales. I, you know, I don't like high pressure selling and things like that. So obviously that's one of the misconceptions, but you know, what are yeah. some of those misconceptions? Did you have any of them when you were transitioning? Obviously you, you knew you wanted sales, so maybe not, but tell me what you think yeah. there. You know, I, I think I researched it and I, I had quite a bit of time before I transitioned. I had about a two-year transition period. So I, I did quite a bit of research on that, kind of came to that conclusion through talking with you as well, Pete. But, um, you know, when I end up talking to JMOs who are looking to transition, I'd say that the things I generally tell them is it's not, I mean, B2B selling is not selling used cars or selling TVs. But those are very fine professions. I'm not knocking them. That, that's really not what we're talking about. Um, the clearest way I could probably put it is that what I do in sales, it more resembles running a, you know, Medtronic Spine franchise as an owner operator, more so than being a used car salesman. Um, mm. I'm much more concerned about the, the long game rather than the individual transactions. Uh, there's a huge strategic element to it because really going back to military terms, I mean, being the sales rep, you are the tip of the spear for the business. All revenue goes through you, and that makes you pretty important. Um, you're engaging with high-level customers, working on contracts, uh, and really doing all the, the day-to-day stuff as well, from billing, the logistics, to the mar- individual marketing, to the customer service. And uh, so that's all stuff that goes into running your own business. And, and when I say that, I think that hits home that this is not just slinging. This is running a franchise and, and I think that that's a very important thing to wrap your head around and if you can do that it sales makes a lot of sense and really when you're you're talking about making cold calls and things of that nature I mean b2b sales especially in, in my line of work in medical you're really working with uh, very very qualified leads so you're not trying to sell something that the customer has no need to buy at all mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that that definitely makes it much more um, approachable. Let me, uh, let me thank you for that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Let me, I'm going to change gears on you here a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about your career. So, because you, you've done something interesting and and a little unusual to a career path where you were a Medtronic employee. And then I think if I recall, I'm just kind of trying to recall a conversation that we had a couple of years ago where you were a little bit more in an attendance scenario. And then, 
and then now you're back with Medtronic. So could you can you share with us a little bit about how that played out? Yeah. So I I guess one of the first things I need to say is I'm I'm a Minnesota guy. I grew up in Minnesota. Um, so I, when I took my job with Medtronic, I was traveling around the country for a year, like I mentioned, really to get a very great experience and learn the business. So the first job I took was with a Medtronic spine distributor out of Minnesota, and I took a job in North Dakota. So I was working for a distributor selling Medtronic spine. So the company treated us the same way. I was just paid through a different, uh, different organization. Then Medtronic bought the distributor after about eight months of me working for the distributor. And now I'm back with corporate Medtronic. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was just kind of a, a weird little circle. But when I go back and check my benefits and whatnot, they counted all my time when I was working with the distributor as Medtronic time. So it ended up uh, being just fine. What is... Um... Tell us what a distributor is. I don't. People probably don't mm-hmm. fully know what that is. Well, a distributor, if you are the individual distributor at some point in your career, they're the ones that uh, they negotiate carrying the product line for the company so that the company doesn't need to pay a sales force. And what happens then is the distributor gets a, a higher percentage um, you know, instead of, let's just, for basic numbers, instead of getting 10% of the sale, they might get 40% of the sale or 50% of the sale, but then they have to hire reps to, to pay it. So basically, they're just like a mini version of the company is, is a right. fairly straightforward way to say that, I guess. Right. Pretty, and pretty independent. Yeah. Okay. And, yep. and at any but point, and I think that's sometimes, say that one more time. Oh, still very much underneath of the corporate structure of the company. Oh, right. It's uh, yeah, they they do a lot of the same things. They can't sell competing products and things of that nature. Well, and I think that sometimes maybe that's. I mean, it's not all that common, frankly, at least from what I've seen. Although it's certainly out there, but but I think something that people are concerned about is, um, you know, the the you know the the perceived uncertainty and I say perceived because there's not a whole lot of uncertainty there um, but people think like oh well, what does that even mean like wait you're working there and then you got bought and what, what's going on there but I don't know I mean you know this is going to be a broad question yeah. and maybe you can just kind of go in whatever direction you want but yeah, yeah sure you know how do, how do you handle the quote perceived um, uncertainty well you know there there's uncertainty just inherent with sales because uh, just as an example, um, a couple of years ago, one of my, my biggest prospects uh, was arrested. Um, so, you know, there's, you know, there's money off the table there. And I had a surgeon that abruptly left a little while ago. So there's inherent uncertainty that you could have that kind of thing happen. If, if your surgeon were to sprain their wrist and miss a week of surgery, there's risk there or go on vacation, there's, there's risk. So honestly, you have to have a risk tolerance that's fairly high to want to get into the sales environment because things happen. Um, they really do. But as far as the, the positional uh, and, and career piece, you know, just based on how uh, the distributor kind of environment works, there are people that have had 
um, 20-year Medtronic careers working for a distributor, effectively. And when they sure. um, come back over to the corporate side, you know, as long as you're working for a great company, and I, I consider Medtronic a great company, they sure. uh, they generally take care of you pretty well. So that that really wasn't a big big issue for me. Um, yeah, I just knew that there's there's always going to be things that happen in sales, and uh, if you're very very risk averse, it, it just might not be the environment that you want to be in. Well, but I think the other thing too is, and you told me this, I think the last time we spoke is you had a a new young surgeon show up to a market yep. that you cover and and he appreciated your style and he liked what you had to say and so he mm-hmm. he got and he, apparently he's pretty busy so you know you yeah. picked up business at the same time oh yeah absolutely and we're still ahead because of that so i mean things kind of like i said with the schedule you know you'll have the up days and the down uh, down days as far as what you're doing on a day-to-day basis over the course of a year you're you're going to have ups and downs and if you plan it right and uh, to, to mitigate as much risk as you can, um, hopefully you'll still be on the up end. So, yeah, I mean, the surgeon that I've got up, uh, at this account, he's doing about a million and a half worth of business. So he's bringing in a lot of revenue for us and nice. uh, we're providing good coverage for him and he's happy. Yeah. Um, I know you're uh, in your master's degree right now. Can you tell us a little bit about your master's? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I just decided to kind of, I guess it was January of last year. And I actually just finished last week. I did my last assignment, which I'm you know, pretty excited about. I uh, applied to Columbia University for a master's of science in applied analytics. Um, it was kind of a 36 hour hybrid program. So most of it was online in very live engaging um, class sessions and then uh, three weeks of intensives out in New York. So basically, the the scope of the program is more focused on, you know, quantitative um, concepts of analytics, I guess. But there's also the element of kind of business in it, and that's kind of the, the applied portion where you're integrating analytics into an organization or Mm-hmm. learning how to manage technical people and, and communicate technical findings to a non-technical audience. I, I would kind of equate it to um, a very quantitative um, MBA. Honestly, just from somebody who's got an MBA, I think this was a, a very, very valuable program um, in that respect. But honestly, the reason I went into it was kind of like uh, just the blanket computers of the 1990s where everybody you needed to learn computers i would venture that analytics um, is going to be the new computers where you really just need to know uh, know enough about it have a really good working knowledge uh, of some of the um, application tools in it Um, because it's just so big in business right now and in our individual lives yeah so yeah but it's been Um, fun and you already have your mba yeah, yeah, I've already got my MBA, but uh, generally the folks that are coming out of the military have this beautiful thing called the post-9-11 GI Bill, so it makes it very, very affordable or free or a part-time job, depending on how you uh, look at the housing allowance. Now, you and I, and and obviously that 
yeah, I'm sure there's an application, you know, to to what you're doing now and applied analytics. But but mm -hmm. I I can only assume that being in a corporate environment, maybe perhaps there's some more application you've shared with me in the past that that's a yeah. path down the road that you're interested in. Can you can you share with us what you're what you're thinking about? What's the future hold for Corey Nordstrom? Sure. Well, I guess uh, just to to open it up just a little bit as far as the career path in general, what you can do after sales. Um, you know, a lot of people stay in sales forever just because you can hardly hardly beat the income in, in sales directly. But you could go into marketing, you could do a whole bunch of other things, get into sales management. For me, I would like to get into strategic account management, which is still a sales type of job with a, a customer-facing um, element to it. It's also much more contracting-heavy and uh, data focused. So I just figured that the um, the degree that I pursued would be would be applicable to that in some regard, just because it, it allows you to take uh, it gives you the skills and knowledge to take a lot of data and pull out the insights that you need to make good decisions. Now, would that be something that would would um cause you to relocate or could you do some sort of strategic account leadership from where you're at now? Well, I'm in Bismarck, North Dakota right now. Um, if I'm going to make any transitions in my career, I, I transition back to the, the corporate environment over in uh, right. the Minneapolis, St. Paul area. Right. Which, um, which is you know, your, which is your neck of the woods anyway. Yeah. It's yeah. my neck of the woods. It's where I'd want to end up. Um, families over yeah. there. So it would be a good move um, on a number of fronts for me. Sure. All right. Let me. Uh, we're going to land the plane here. We'll talk about advice a little bit. Maybe you can give yeah. us some advice that someone's given you lately that you've liked and has resonated with you. And then, as a parting shot, maybe give advice to those that are listening to this podcast who who are thinking about getting out of the military. Maybe you could share some of your experience in that regard. Yeah. So the best advice that I've received lately. Um, I would say is always stay connected to revenue. And that's a very dry answer and you can't really apply it um, all the time. But, you know, the people that are the ones that are getting laid off in any environment are the ones that can't directly justify their existence. And if you're in sales, you can put a number on how much you're worth. And um, being tied to revenue does give you a lot of that job security that we, we kind of talked about before. Um, and that was just uh, timely. We've, we've known a few folks that uh, have been laid off or their departments are downsized. And, you know, it always comes back. And from those people, one of them was my mentor, uh, basically just said, yeah, always stay connected to revenue. I got away from revenue. And uh, that's kind of what happens when you're in a sales organization. So that, that kind of uh, hits home with me. And as far Very as good. the ad it. advice to JMOs, uh, let's see. Um, really be open with your career fields. Like I mentioned, I, I knew that I probably wanted to get into sales, but once I started doing my follow-up interviews, I was really, really torn between doing this and, and a consulting gig. I never would have thought that consulting would have been a, a, a great option for me. Um, and it would have been, it would have worked out Excellent, I'm sure. I just chose a different path. But be open when you go into this, whether sales is your primary or a secondary. 
you might be really surprised. Um, you know, I saw a lot of great jobs and great companies that came through the door at Cameron Brooks. Um, the other thing I would say in your preparation now, be really deliberate in building your resume for the corporate world while you're in the military. And, you know, you're reading a lot of great books, I'm sure, and um, going to the development plan. Take those concepts and apply them to, their, to your job um, because those are the things that make it very tangible that you're a direct plug-and-play. While these companies have already, you know, they have their heads wrapped around that a GMO will be a great hire, this helps them mm -hmm. really take any emotional piece out of it and say, yes, that is very tangible, what you did. So take the time to be to do that and be very deliberate. Um, I guess if, if there's anybody on the line who's already in business, and this is applicable for all of the, the JMOs that are listening to this as well, just because they're probably going to be leaving and, and getting into a, a business job. Um, keep looking for opportunities to learn, whether it's formal or not. And the thing that was hard for me was getting my mind off of the PCS schedule of changing jobs every year and a half, two years, moving every three years, because that, that might not be the best thing for your career on the outside. So really wrap your head around a little bit more longevity. Um, network beyond LinkedIn, I think would be something that's very tangible because you can, meeting a lot of great people in your company and outside of your company, those contacts can really serve you well. Uh, sure. And, and if there's anything fluffy, I would say, you know, volunteer still. Don't just, when you're volunteering yeah. and not doing it just for uh, an OPR bullet or an award package, it's a lot more fun and fulfilling. And, you know, keep up your physical fitness because, uh, there's no reason to let that slide just because you're not in the military any longer. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Good. Uh, Corey, it's, it's always a pleasure to visit with you. You, uh, I love your style, man. You just, you, you're cool, calm and collected. I, I know that you're, you're an amazing sales rep and I like hanging Thank out you. with you and hearing from you. So yeah. I really appreciate the time. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I love helping you guys out and, uh, sharing my experience with other JMOs because, you know, yeah. transitioning well can set you up very well for your future and transitioning poorly um, won't do you any favors. So yeah, well said. transition well, work with people that know what they're doing and uh, prepare and talk to people. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. Okay, well, I'm going to link to your uh, LinkedIn site, if you don't mind, so you may have a yeah, person to reach out to you and, uh, and hit you up. Thanks so much for the opportunity yeah. to visit with you. I'll be in touch. I'll, I'll catch up. I'll, I'll initiate the next one. I'll make sure of it. And, uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you, Pete. All right. Thanks, Corey. Bye.